Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Vividly Speaking with who else but me, Dr. Vivid. As usual, I'm so excited and honored to be here with all of you once again. So let's not delay the moment. Let's jump right into it. Let's go. Welcome, welcome back to another episode with your girl. <laughs> welcome, guys. I've, I'm just so excited every time I jump on to record because you have shown me so much love. And you're like, I'm so glad that season two is back. And I'm like, thank you. We welcome that excitement. Thank you. Thank you. And so many things have been happening. Oh my goodness. So, you know, it's still Mental Health Awareness Month. And for the month of May, every weekend, I am involved in either my own wellness sessions or I'm doing keynote speaking, I'm leading some discussions, or I'm even involved in some physical health-based things for May um, as far as award ceremony for my exercise group, um, doing a keynote at a conference um, about resilience, then talking about LGBTQIA plus issues. I have the Anxiety Fighters group is back. Parenting While Depressed is at the end of this month. The Tea About Trauma. Um, what else? What else? Life After Difficult Relationships. The Can of Mom Check-In. All of these things are occurring, and if you are interested in wellness groups, please go register at drvivid.com, and of course, I'll have information about registering in the notes for this episode. Also, I am uber excited about this particular episode because this kicks off the first guest appearance and vividly speaking history. Yes, 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 yes. <laughs> so I'm going to be having guests on once a month. And I am so honored to say that this episode's guest is no other than my mama, my mother. And the interview with her was amazing. And I hope that it really resonates with you guys today. But before we jump into that, how y'all doing? How are you feeling? How's your mental health? Have you checked in with yourself today? Have you poured into yourself today? Have you told someone no so you can tell yourself yes today? If not, you still got time. But you know what we got time for? We got time to get into the next episode segment, so let's go. You know what time it is. It's time to think about why the world is such a crazy place. 
and get your favorite pint size, travel size, fun size, doctor's opinion on it all. You know what this is called. Let's go. So, uh, I just want to know what's happening, what goes on here, you guys, scrolling on Beyonce, Issa Rae, and Lizzo's internet, and I come across um, one of the posts in the group that I'm in on Facebook, and they're having a discussion about women over 35 and their worthiness and their ability to be seen as valuable by now they're talking about heterosexual relationships so other men and specifically this group um is made up of all black folk and i said what is this nonsense where is this conversation even coming from and of course the jester of the mess kevin samuels um made a remark about women over 35 being considered leftovers. And, okay, at the time when I initially started recording this episode, Kevin Samuels was still alive. As of the time of me editing, I decided to go back and not scrap the focus on this. No, no. But I did kind of go hard on him. And as we as we should, because he has some he had some very ridiculous <laughs> opinions and some negative things to say about black women. But I wanted to make sure I honored anybody who may be connected to him closely that may stumble across this little podcast. You never know. So I wanted to be clear and, and to let you guys know that. Um, but I said, no, we still going to focus on this because this is problematic. Why are women and particularly black women who are single and 35 and older considered leftovers? Like, what does that even mean? So like... <laughs> We just, we're just being just left behind, huh? There's no value in us because why? And what is it with society's obsession with women 30 and over just being over the hill and disposable? Like, what the hell is this? This is not the ages of yesteryear when 12 and 14 year olds were being married off. <laughs> like... 30 and 35, that's not old. And even if we said it was 75, a 75-year-old woman or a 35-year-old woman still has so much value. Age has nothing to do with value. Who the person is, their own set of beliefs, their morality, their integrity, the gifts, their personality, that's what makes people valuable. So... This whole discussion was going on for a very long time <laughs> on this thread. And as I'm listening or reading to the comebacks 
and the <laughs> from other women I was chuckling but what struck me was there were so many men agreeing and I was like well, are you in relationship well people were asking well are you guys in relationships and they were like no and clearly you're over 35 so if you what does that mean about a man who was over 35 in a heterosexual relationship? Like, why aren't you considered a leftover? Why aren't you considered less valuable? Why aren't you considered problematic because you're in your mid-30s and you're single? What What the hell? And then, I'm going to take it a step further. I'm not 35 yet. I'll be 35 at the end of this year. But, baby... If you considering me a leftover, warm me the hell up. Because leftovers are tasty. <laughs> They're delicious. You know, you had leftovers after like Thanksgiving or a bomb pasta. Something the next day. That thing hits, baby. All the seasonings are just settled in there. You 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 reminisce about how it tasted when you first took it out of the oven. You're like, how does it taste even better? I get better with time, baby. Call me a leftover there, honey. I am fulfilling, satisfying, surprisingly delectable. <laughs> Y'all are wild. But we really have to think about how we address each other. Like, calling women derogatory names because they don't have kids or they're single thinking less of them that's whack that's lame you know and turn the mirror on yourself think think about your life are there things that people would say about you that would hurt your feelings what are your flaws since you so perfect out there and we all leftovers Sirs, gentlemen, soapbox folk who want to get on social media and tell women what's wrong with them, but can't analyze what's wrong with them, who lack emotional vocabulary and intelligence, who have issues with committing and instead of admitting it, lie and don't <laughs> and purposely get into situationships dragging folk along mm. y'all don't want me to dig into y'all business but what's the, how old are some of y'all mamas are they single would you like somebody to call your mama a leftover i don't think you would watch your mouth Black women get so tired of you scrutinizing everything about us, how we wear our hair, how we wear our clothes, how we take care of ourselves, how we travel, how much money we make, if we want to have kids, if we don't want to have kids, if you want to be a stay-at-home mom, if you want to be a working professional. If we breathe in the earshot of a man, there is some unsolicited criticism. <laughs> Leave us be. We just want to be magical and uplifting and have a good old time with people who connect with us. See us for the people that we are individually and respect us for that. If you ain't got nothing nice to say about the black woman, baby, move along. Leftovers. What's happening? 
the hell goes on here? Hello, 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 and welcome to the main event. I told you guys for season two for Mental Health Awareness Month, we are doing bigger. So we are having our guest series in season two. I'm so excited. Y'all have hassled me about it, pressed me about it from TikTok to IG. I got her to agree to come on. My mother, Cheryl Elliott, is here as my very first guest. That's important. That's special. I'm special. Special. And, and I wanted to introduce her to you all and also have the chance to talk about you know some of the things that you have requested as I've been really open about my mental health journey, my journey um, as a clinician, and this life. Um, and people seem to be really impacted by a lot of the stories that I share about you. So I was like, let her speak for herself. And then all y'all saw, also y'all can see where all this comes from. So I don't, I just want to make sure that you know that I'm not alone in this behavior. <laughs> so I got it honest. So mommy, you want to introduce yourself to the folk? Cheryl Elliott, native Washingtonian, cosmetologist, 37 years, licensed cosmetologist. Very important. Um, if you got coins, you can come see me. <laughs> Also, grandmother extraordinaire, and I love my little people, mental health advocate, definitely, and mental health advocacy, a lot of people say they are advocates nowadays, but really don't know anything about it mm -hmm. in the journey. We know because we live it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's a quote. We know because we live it. So... I've talked about a couple of different things on the podcast in relation to you. I've talked about, you know, how I decided I wanted to be a psychologist and how you influenced that, why I wanted to be a, more than a psychologist and how you've influenced that. And just parenting styles, growing up in the city, everything kind of comes back to you. Um, I mean, you're, you're my first teacher, my first role model. So I wanted to hear from someone who's we're completely different generations mm -hmm. like what was your outlook about mental health growing up and how did it shape you your experiences or how did it change overall it wasn't even an outlook growing up mm -hmm. i'm also educated in the district of columbia public school system um children who behave differently were considered special mm -hmm. And in my day, my generation, that meant sitting in the back of the class, getting them some crayons. When they had outbursts, send them to the principal's office. They did not understand being on a spectrum. Mm. They had no idea about mental health. It was a child. You had to get over it. I was always told, get over it. I tried to take my life the first time at 14 years old. Mm. There was no getting over it. Um... If it wasn't for my sister, I probably would have died, you know, foaming at the mouth and telling my mother she has to go where they have to pump my stomach. Mm -hmm. So in a nutshell, you know, I wasn't even aware that I had mental health issues until I became a young adult. Mm. And so now that you're older and you can look back at those experiences, those lived experiences that you had, what do you think was missing when it comes to the adults that were responsible for you, whether it be at school, at home, or the community, when it came to noticing your mental health issues? Listening. 
people, especially adults, are so dismissive when it comes to kids. It's like, oh, you'll be fine. You'll get over it. It's just a phase. Mm. When you're constantly not eating, not sleeping, you can't rationalize your thoughts. That's not a phase. Mm. There's a problem. But I had no one I could turn to that wouldn't just shut me up and, you know, go on, go on. So I see it such a big difference, especially with COVID and people having to sit and deal with themselves, understanding that I may need some help. Mm. You know? So I'm so thankful and grateful for people like yourself oh. that makes this normal. It's okay to not be okay. Absolutely. And it's hard. Um, because I, f- I talk about a lot the duality of being black. Like, there are certain things in our community that we support, and there are certain things in our community that we just mm. completely shy away from, and mental health-related issues have constantly been that. And a lot of the people who were around you as pillars of the, in the community or family, they're my family mm-hmm. members too. So it, it's really hard to, if, if to be motivated by people who don't understand, mm-hmm. it's really hard to explain certain things to the older generations. Like, your mother, my grandmother, or like I have, um, my mom is the youngest of five. So, you know, your older brothers or, you know, just uncles. And so what do you think was the biggest moment in your life that told you you needed to focus on your mental health? The biggest moment. Like the pivotal thing that was like, this is a priority. My sixth time in treatment for substance abuse. Mm. sixth time I've been there nine total and at that sixth time finally going on the mental health ward realizing that in those little phrases this is insanity something's Mm. really wrong with me and it's not just getting clean I Mm. gotta find a way to stay clean so in that time I was on the substance abuse ward and I said I need to go upstairs Mm. you know and they're like why I'm like I need to go upstairs. And I, I went up there and saw that this is where I need to be with the people talking to the people in their heads and all that. But I knew I was among people that had problems like myself. Mm. Mm. How did that affect you? Like seeing people on the unit that were talking to themselves or had uh, more intense symptoms than you, how did that shape your experience? That right there was it was huge because it let me know that not only was I in the right place, but there are people that are worse off than me, mm-hmm. but that doesn't lessen what I'm going through. Yes. Because a woman, I'll never forget her, Clara, you know, Clara. And also, I met my husband on the mental health ward. I'm putting it out there. I <laughs> met him on the mental health ward. We were both there doing what we was doing, um, but we needed to be there. It was where we needed to be. And this woman's family came, she came from massive amounts of money, put her in there and was like, she's going to be all right. This woman was fighting in her head. Mm. And every time I went back, Clara was there. They just put her there and spent her money. And it was like, wow, that's not where I want to be. I need to work on myself. Mm. Because I saw that. Because I knew what it was like when you see people fake with their voices. Nah, people, it's real. When a voice is, usually when they're talking to you, they're not telling you anything great. They're not telling you to do anything but to hurt yourself or 
why everything around you is bad and everybody around you is bad. And you believe it because it's inside your head and you can't get away from it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, when we talk about voices, in certain aspects we talk about um, auditory hallucinations, but people don't understand that you don't have to have a schizophrenia diagnosis mm-hmm. to experience auditory hallucinations. You can experience deep depression um, that will cause that. Or if it's not a hallucination, it's just an intensified level of very negative, dark thoughts that when you're on a unit, because I've, you know, shared my story, I've checked myself in voluntarily. Mm-hmm. It is kind of, we call it like folly ado. Like you play, it's like everybody's symptoms just come to play mm-hmm. and you find yourself being irritated by them. You trying to figure out what's going on with them. Then that incites your symptoms. Cause you, like you said, you mm-hmm. sat there and thought like, damn, I don't want to keep going through this. I don't want to, you know, go back and forth and let this be my life. And I want to also come back to something that you said. You said you're six time in treatment. So could you, you're right now dealing with a big sobriety, like celebration, huge, huge huge milestone in sobriety. So could you share about your sobriety? I mean, I started using when I was 11 years old and that's on a regular basis. Mm. Um, smoking marijuana, 11 years old, on the daily basis, 12, 13, you know, it progressed to PCP. Um, now people take it. We took what's called purple microdot, sunshines, LSD, blotters, tried cocaine, didn't like it, but I went to crack after I had Ashley and wow, you know, crack cocaine had a hold, had a grip. I am 21 years clean from crack cocaine. I made a decision, and a lot of people don't know crack, crack, crack. It's a mind thing. It's not body where I say like an opioid or alcohol where you got to have it. Mm-hmm. That's mind over matter. You might go through, you know, irritability, a little depression. You're not actually vomiting and going through diarrhea and, and shaking and sweating and, and, and your nose running constantly like I did with opioid addiction, which I am currently still on methadone, I am at 50 milligrams. That's coming from 150 mm-hmm. detox in which I chose, I wanted to do detox five milligrams every two weeks. They wouldn't let me. They let me do two. Um, and as you can see, the myths, I'm not shaking, I'm not shaking, you know. Everybody has their level in a little teeny person on 150 milligrams. People don't think I had, that was at still doing a gram of heroin a day. Mm. And I didn't do what I'm with on the street terms was cut. I did raw heroin. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people think it's cute and it's a, what they call a dealer's habit. It just was that much harder, but I had to have more support. I didn't have support other than my daughter and my partner who was incarcerated. Mm-hmm. They kept telling me I could do it, mm-hmm. you know. And I did it, and it's not easy, and I struggle every day not wanting to use, but I watch other people and go, but there go I. Mm-hmm. And it keeps me going. I continue to play my story every day where I don't want to be. Because when you wake up every day and you got to figure out, how do I cop? You know, you got to think about these people, that, how do I get the money? How do I do this so I can function? And in functioning, I went to school, you went to college, you, you worked a job, high, what people call high-functioning, mm-hmm. you know, but nobody ever knew, but my kids knew, 
when we get to the mall, y'all in the full court. I got a dip. Mm. You know, y'all going to that store. I got a dip because that's how serious it is. So I see it and I watch it. I see it on the train. Mm. I see it in clients. I see it in people. I see it in the churches. I see it in the mall. You see it. Every You see it. And it's getting so bad with the fentanyl out here. And you mm. want to just shake people and say, yo, you don't know what you're getting. It's kitchen magicians out here. But everybody has to find their way. Mm. You know, but having a grasp and knowing my mental health diagnosis is major. You know, I'm not, like you said, I'm not schizophrenic, never been di- diagnosed. I was manic depressive back in the day, you know what I'm saying? Bipolar, mm-hmm. you know, severe depression. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not know I was ADHD until my daughter told me. The OCD never, you know, when I was a kid, it was, she talked too much. <laughs> you know, she talked too much. You know, she real smart, but she do everything, but but nobody ever thought to say, well, why is she like that? Mm-hmm. You know, the little things that I have to do that I, I can't get out the house if this isn't right. It takes a huge part of my day, but I know how to cope. Mm-hmm. And I thank my daughter for it because I researched it. She Every book she had, what she didn't keep, I kept. And you find out why am I like this, and I know psychologically, DNA, genetics, all of that, but also my surroundings and my environment, what I came from. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Huge. Definitely. You grew up in, so you, everybody knows I'm a proud D.C. native, but D.C., when you were growing up in D.C. now, and D.C. when I was growing up even, are completely different beasts. And, you know, knowing everything that you've gone through, something that you said, also I want to bring back to, because I talk to people a lot of time about, sobriety and I talk to uh, and, and drug use and substance substance use and dependence and how hand they go hand in hand mm-hmm. with mental illness when you don't have support yep and when you don't have the resources and you grow up in the inner city you're looking for an escape that's it that's the escape that's and it's escape. so readily available you know so going from that and I tell people relapse is a part of recovery yep you what pushed you or motivates you to stay sober? I think watching how things are kind of replaying itself in D.C. Mm -hmm. I came up and came out of high school in a time when we was the murder capital. Um, I don't know how much you, the year Ashley's father was killed, 439 people were murdered in the streets of D.C. Huge. And I had 68 people on the list at that time that were murdered. They were close friends of mine. So you had to find a way to deal with that. Mm-hmm. You know, you go, you hug their moms, you know, and that's not even saying just going to funerals. You all have to understand, I've been the person that's tipped the person's head back and their brains is coming out the back of their head in their mm-hmm. car, you know, because everybody's like, they're sitting at their bus stop too long and I found my good friend, Lorenzo dead. I've stepped over the bodies when you see the flies and the dry blood, mm. never realized I had PTSD like four or five years ago. And so many young people in this city, in any inner city, has PTSD. And that's how they deal. So they smoking weed and they doing lean and they doing all these things. That's how a way we cope. Mm-hmm. You find a coping mechanism because you don't have a network and you don't know how. Right. Now I know how. And I'm that person that's such an advocate that I speak to people on anywhere I go and let them know it's possible. Mm. If I can do it, 
anybody can do it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's that strung out junkie. And it's like when I was that cracky and I tell people the stories all the time, I was on my knees. I wasn't praying. And those of y'all know the street know what I mean mm-hmm. in dirty, nasty alleys with boys that could have been my child. Mm-hmm. But I'm doing this for means to escape. Mm-hmm. That's an escape. And then somebody else taught me, oh, well, you a crackhead, so you need to come down so level it out with dope. Mm. Never told me your body would be addicted like that. Yeah. Crack and heroin. Crack, heroin, and alcohol and sugar <laughs> are of the most addictive substances when it comes to substance use and abuse. That's and it. a lot of people don't understand. And I find that, you know, even though I was born in 87, nine, I grew up in the 90s and the 2000s. And to see what you had gone through, because you lived the 80s. That mm-hmm. that was y'all's era, you know. To see it kind of replaying where the 80s, you know, in the 90s you had the crack epidemic mm-hmm. and heroin flood in the street. Now we have fentanyl. We have K2. Man. You know, there's a resurgence in heroin, but there are younger people. Yep. And heroin has been in the city since the late 60s, 70s, hard. Um, but, you know, now because it's hitting suburban areas, you see exactly. that there's a, a resurgence of let's get these programs and <laughs> things like that. But so all that to say, you've seen D.C. change so much in terms of, you know, race relations, in terms of the the drugs in terms of violence and to hear that you your sobriety hinges on i'm not trying to replay that Mm -hmm. i've i have seen that Mm -hmm. i've gone through that and i couldn't make it through Mm. there's no way i tell people the jails institution of death that's real i've been in jail Mm. i've been in every type of institution there's nothing left Mm. there's nothing left and you oh i know my dealer only go to these two people okay by the time he get it, how many times you think it been stepped on? Then he's going to step on it. Mm. When I'm telling you, they're taking the pills now that y'all popping at the club and dipping them in fentanyl. Mm-hmm. They replacing what's in the caplets. They spend it on the weed mm-hmm. because it's a sedative. And they like, oh, it's just making these people think they have so they can keep coming back. Your body and my body might be different. Mm-hmm. You know, great thing. I, I look at a story the other day, four-year-old child mm-hmm. had 10 times the amount of fentanyl in her body. What it would take a, to put a user down who had never used. Because her parents sold crack. And a junkie saw her on the floor. Just getting the films while they was backing up. And put her in her room. But she screamed and cried to 2 o'clock the next day. All the blood vessels in her body burst. Oh my God. Suffered. And this is what that drug told them though. I'm going to keep hustling. I'm going to keep cooking. I'm going to keep selling she all right. Because that's what a drug will tell you. Like when I would leave you. With my mother, who was a true alcoholic, she all right. I come home from the club, 2 o'clock in the morning one night. She awake in the crib. Cuss my mother out. You know, I'm like, but the the fact of the matter is, why the hell wasn't you here? Why mm. wasn't you here with your child? Mm. You know, she's like, oh, you go out, you go out. Because, again, addiction, alcohol, a man, she had her addiction. I'm going to go do what I got to do. I'm like, well, my child could have flipped out of his crib and been dead, but it wouldn't have just played on her, but played on me. Mm. Huge deal on me, mm-hmm. you know, and I thought I never thought I was better than, oh, I don't get high around my child. I don't take her in crack houses. I don't do any of this. I don't do any of that. I remember thinking you sleep 
and thinking I could smoke and you hearing a popping. Mm. The popping, trying to smoke out of a glass. People that don't know, you put aluminum foil on a glass because I never owned my own pipe. Because in my mind, oh, you ain't that messed up. Uh, no, you're not a real addict if you don't have your I, own I ain't never had no glass, glass pipe. Uh-huh. I ain't never had no stems. You know, my, my, my godson's grandma, we we, had, we we had stems hidden everywhere and all the bomb coats and all of that. We never carried them with us. We were so messed up, you know, and and I'm like, oh my God, she sleep. The godmother had been there. I did her nails. She, we did hair, all that. And the child wakes up and says, I hear popping. Mm. And it was such a big moment because I come out of the kitchen. I rushed it before you come down that turn. And I say, stop. And you sit and, and you're like, mommy, mommy, mommy. Because I'd already told you don't come down the steps. And you're saying, mommy, are you okay? Are you okay? What's that sound? Mm. You heard that popping. Because crack pops when you in the stem. And um, I couldn't speak. It's one of the biggest motivators that keeps me when I see people with their kids out here I could not speak because if you don't know a lot of crack addicts your teeth will grind Mm. you cannot open your mouth for fear of the saliva Mm. you know all of that you're hallucinating the paranoia the everything Mm. and my teeth were grinding and I finally gotta open my mouth to say to you and y'all just breathe And as a child, mm-hmm. you're like, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? And as a little kid, you just hug me and say, it's going to be okay. You know, those are the moments that I'm like, I got to change. You know, something got to stop. Why do I do this? And it all came back to find out what's really going wrong up here. Mm-hmm. Why you continue to do this to yourself, your child, because you're doing it to everybody around you when you're dealing with your addiction. It's not just you addicted. Your family is going through that addiction with you. Mm-hmm. And I finally really got the proper diagnosis. I've been on Zoloft, Prozac, Lithium. I mean, it all. Um, Seroquel, Transodone, Risperdal. I'm a walking textbook on it. And I, I had to figure out what worked for me. And right now, and I am not on any medicine, not saying I don't need to be. Um, I don't have insurance. That's one thing. Again, the city is changing. Mm-hmm. But I also know how to cope. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have a network. I have my, I can say I'm drowning. Like I'll mm-hmm. tell you, you know that's when I'm at my low. I'm like, I'm drowning. I feel like I'm drowning. When you cannot breathe. But you have to know there's always help. Never feel that I can't get out of this because something can bring you out of it. You got to find what you need to get you out of it, but you can get out of it. And I just see all these celebrities and people coming out and talking. And if that's making you all aware, great. Mm -hmm. If that's making you all aware, great. But know that there are people, laymen like myself, doctors, that deal with that same issues you're dealing with Mm -hmm. of sadness, depression, feeling like you don't know which way is up. And there is a way to deal. Mm-hmm. It truly is. And there's something on the other side. You got to push to it. You remember when I told you a long time ago, um, you got to stand on your tippy toes sometimes mm-hmm. when you don't feel like And I told you when you feel like you can't do no more, I'll lift you up. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you got to do that. You got to remember, you got to have that person, somebody. And if you don't have a physical being, find you a higher power. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't push religion on people. I push spirituality. 
And if you know and you see everything that's going on in this world around us now, if you don't believe there's a higher being, I don't know what you're saying. You're not saying what I'm saying. Because mm. our world is in true disarray. It is. It feels heavy. Every day this feels heavy for millions of different reasons. And I was talking to someone the other day and I was like, what the, living as a black person, well, I've only lived as a black woman. But I was like, sometimes you just get tired of the heaviness, um, but you're so used to it that I said, if we, if it tends, if it starts to lighten up, we'll lose our damn minds <laughs> because, and I said, but that's a sad way of thinking. Um, but I want to, something that you were, you were just touching on, cause I don't, I don't have you for so long. We got things to do, uh, about your motherhood feeling a change. Mm. At what point with me did you notice an impact on my mental health and wellness? Mm. Four or five years old. Mm. That's when I remember. Four or five years old. You know, but, you know, being a parent, being a person who is the child and the person that is caring for the child, it's two different interpretations of what's going on. And I remember just feeling very scared a lot. Now, of course, we know it's anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, and and by depression, I really feel like they just kind of I'll, I'll just overlooked my childhood oh, yeah. depression. Yeah. Oh, um, but at, what was the point? Because I tell people, you took me to the therapist. You took me to the psychologist at four and a half or so, like four. What was the thing that one piece or one incident or something that spoke to you that said, I need her to talk to somebody. The incident I just spoke about, because you were about four years old, because you had started school, and um, watching everybody around me, I had a little click, that little circle mm-hmm. that we got high, and you know how it started out on the first of the month, and you know, the big part about addiction is when you realize you don't need that crew no more, you get high by yourself all the time. I said, this is affecting her, you know, but telling people I was going to do it, of course, in our community, she don't need nobody to talk to. Girl, you can really mess that child up. I'm like, no, I'm messing her up every day. Mm. You know, and they're like, man, your mother got her. My mother not supposed to have her. The fact that y'all think you go to college, you go to school, you in college and you work in in the four seasons, you put her to sleep every night. I'm out here tripping, dipping and everything. That child sees that. Whether she's right there with me, she sees the difference in me when I come home. Mm-hmm. You no, know, so I got to get her help. That's true. I did notice when the times when you were different, or if there were long stints of time where I mm-hmm. hadn't seen you. But sometimes it'd be days. Sometimes it would be weeks. Weeks. And my mother wasn't a help. Mm-hmm. You know, I had that mother, and it's just you know she didn't know how to deal with it. Was telling my child, your mother's a tramp. She's a whore. She's probably dead in the alley. There was many days I didn't think you were coming back. You know, all the, and you know, she didn't know how to deal. I'm not making an excuse for it, but she didn't know how to deal. So mm-hmm. she's like, you know, with her trauma, worrying about her child, she's like, wait, I'm like, how do you tell a child that? Mm-hmm. You know, so I knew right then that I got to get her help. If I can't help myself right now, let me, let me get on the road to helping her. Mm-hmm. And I never hid my addiction. When I went into treatment, I always told her what I was doing. Remember, they say she's going to get better. She's going to get well. And I said, I'm going to stop telling her that. She, I, I will never be well. I'm going to always be in recovery. I'm going to be always fighting this demon. I will never be well. But I need her to understand why I'm doing it and what I'm going through. 
And at 11 years old, you came to me and said, can I be a psychologist? I'll never forget it. I'm like, you can be anything you want to be. And a child is saying to me, but I think I want to be clinical. At the time, I didn't know what that meant. I really didn't. I didn't know the difference in clinical. I didn't had no so idea. So y'all can understand how much of a nerd and weird geeky kid I have no idea. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, whoa, that's heavy. That this child is saying this, and then at 15 years old, you know, we had snow days back then. It was different, and having to go to the clinic, and I started doing groups. I was in the methadone clinic. I was damn near running the clinic, and you know, I'm over there doing groups and social cycles and sessions and she had to sit out. People said, oh, she can come in. And she would sit there and go, no, it's confidentiality. You know, 14, 15 years old. I'm like, this heavy. You know, she really get it. Mm-hmm. That's why I knew you were on the right track. And that's why I push you so much. You got a gift. You got a message. Not everybody can live it. And I tell you, book smart and street smart, yes, that's a hell of a combination. I ch- Listen, I, I, I am... I tell people... That even though there are parts of growing up that I wish were different, I'm grateful for my experiences and how they've shaped me. Especially that book smart, street smart. Because I think of how different my life would be if I had not seen the things that I've seen. And been like, okay, if I do that or if I use those drugs or if I hang out with those people, that's what's going to happen to me. And, you know, I've seen some of my friends or neighborhood falter because they're book smart but the naivete eats them up in the streets and they think they're they're above it and don't realize that mental health and disease don't discriminate and then you see the other part of it who you know are solely street smart but think that they can't get out of it because they don't have the support of, you know, a, a good education or people that are pushing them for it. Not even education, just resources. That's the saddest one. Yeah. You know how many times I heard, but you smart. But you how smart. You know, how, how you how? But you smart. You the smartest person I know. How? how? Smart people like drugs too. And I'm like, man, my lawyer is a dope thing. I knew. <laughs> be- I mean, he had a huge hand. Oh my God. Okay. So I said that to my new chiropractor, right? He big dude. He looked like an extra from American History X. Do not message me about that. I swear. He's a big, buff, white dude. He changed his life. You could tell he got like different types of prison mm-hmm. tattoos and everything. His hands are so huge. You and the first know. thing that I thought of, and that's like the street smart part. Like when I see clients over certain places or I look and I'm like, oh, you used to use yeah. heroin, used to shoot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and not as a judging way, but as a, you know, this is just something that I notice when I'm talking to people. And you identify people. it. Yeah. It's something that I've been around for a long time. Like, you know, I can know when somebody's tired and when somebody's nodding. On the bus today. <laughs> lady, old lady got on the bus with the girl with the wheelchair. She's standing there wanting no dude to get up. She, she doing this heat. I'm like, babe, she's like, he's sleep. I'm like, nah, he out. He, he nodding. You know? Let him be, yeah. you know? Those things. You know? I, I, I've I had lived some crazy ass experiences as a <laughs> child, but yeah. I'm thankful that I had you as my mother during those experiences because it could have been a different way. And, and I tried to explain it. Mm-hmm. And never downing nobody, mm-hmm. you know? Very, very transparent. Like, people ask me why I talk to my kids the way I do. Mm-hmm. I, I have a different style than you had. Yeah. But it's based on, I want them to understand 
whether it be a good situation or a bad situation, I want them to understand what's going on around them because I really think that it would have been scarier for me as a child to see some of the things that I've seen and no adult around me took time to explain what was going yeah. on or no adult around me to explain like your mom has to go away for a while. Mm-hmm. Like I know so many people who can't account for parts of their childhood because people just left and then they came back, you know? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, your mom went to rehab. You really? You think? Ain't nobody explained that to you? Like, you know, and all of these things. So I guess I, I definitely want you to come back for other episodes because there are so many stories that I've told. But I want to know, after all that you've gone through and where you are on your journey now, what do you want people to know oh, that are going through some of the things that you went through right now? What would you, what kind of jewels or gems would you drop for them as far as what could keep them going or what hope they could look forward to? No matter how many times you falter, you can get up. Mm-hmm. Don't try to erase your past. So many people will try to erase it, you know, because I play my tape over and over. It helps me not to repeat it. Never look down on those people, you know. Don't get yourself clean. You know, they say you get all fat, your pockets ain't touching, you go back around. But I'm ne- never look down on those because there go you. Mm. There go you. I'm never above it. Mm-hmm. I, I go to the methadone clinic once a month. Most people go every day, mm-hmm. you know. So I'm going just to pick up. Pee in a cup and pick up. I never have to have that fear when I have to pee. Mm. Ever in my life again. I never have to worry about asking you to pee for me. You know, buying urine, which is the craziest shit ever. <laughs> you can you know? buy urine anyway. Yes. And don't let <laughs> don't dudes, do it. dudes be buying and they come up pregnant. So it's just without. <laughs> you got, but, you man, you think you about to get over and you get your P.O. some pee and they're like, did you know you're six weeks pregnant? You know, I didn't seen it all. I didn't seen the bottles fall out the vaginas, the <laughs> fake penises fall off, everything. So, you know, stop trying to get over. Because uh-huh. I still have people that come to me. And I love it at the clinic. I said, just clean. I stopped trying to beat the system. Yeah. I did it for a long time. I know about having a child pee and squeeze it out of a diaper and keeping it on your engine and keep it warm until you get where you're going. So much work to gain you know, the it's system. so much work. When all I got to do is pray, stay clean one day at a time, mm. wake up the next day and do it over again. If he allows me, wake up the next day and do it over again. That's all I got to do. Don't let nobody steal your joy. Stop worrying about what they doing. If you really want it, you can get it. That's all to it. You really want it, you can get it. It's out there, but you got to want it. And it is work. Just like you work to be the first person on the corner. Because you know that dude had it good, good. Be that first person at that meeting. That first person at the clinic so you can avoid the rush of who's selling this and that, 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 that. Stick and move. Mm. Cause that's what I do, and I don't. I don't look down on nobody. Anybody, everybody in the streets know me in the city. Everybody know me. And, that's true. And you know, I don't look down on. Hey, what's good? Keep it moving. I'll give you money. I don't care what you spend it on. I know what my heart. My husband told me that. My heart told me where to, how to give it to you. I'm giving it to you from the heart. What you choose to do with it is you. Mm. And everybody now, it's it's a good feeling to know when now I can walk through 8th Street, 51st or wherever. Nigga, oh, she ain't got time. Mm. She ain't got time. That's true. You know, when it ain't nobody telling me who got it good because they know I'm over there and what. What you want me to do with that? Nothing. What you want me to do with that? So he got it good and how many bodies he got on it? Because mm. the bodies is building up mm-hmm. out here. 
two kids just died in Fairfax, you seen that? Mm-hmm. Then they found 500 pills, just like the ones they took. Mm-hmm. They're going to look into it because they were white. <laughs> of course. They ain't telling nobody, but they were white. They ain't going to definitely mm-hmm. look into it. You know. So, you know, I thank you so much for coming and sharing and being so open and vulnerable. Transparency. I told y'all, y'all think I'm the transparency queen. I get it, honest. Because they that's, say she get it from a mom. <laughs> that's how you learn. That's how people. That's right. My testimony can help someone else, and I really wanted to share because I have so many people who tell me they have like very difficult relationships with their parents because of their own mental health issues or their substance abuse issues. And we've had difficult oh, patches. Yeah. We oh, this yeah. is a lot of work, a whole lot of work. But I wanted to show people that it's possible. And also, you know, who best to tell your story but you? That's it. So I appreciate you coming on and taking the time because my mother don't like to be on camera. She don't like to be No, up. I don't like taking she pictures. She don't like nothing. Pictures. But I will spread that joy, the joy that I have to be here every Friday at old work. And people are like, oh, you could be making money. I couldn't do that if I wasn't using, if I was using. Mm-hmm. I couldn't possibly sit for hours with a toddler. <laughs> Not with JoJo. You know, <laughs> and, and a cat running on that, you know, that would freak me out. You know mm. how many times I would be in the bathroom and out the door and nod it out? But I can do that, and the pleasure of it, the being tired, the being sore, everything, it's like I did that clean. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to see them graduate high school. I'm going to see them graduate college because I chose to change my life. Mm-hmm. And it's anybody that can hear the sound of my voice, if you want it, you can get it. You can. I'm so proud of you. I'm proud of you. Thank you. You know. Thank you for coming on my podcast. You all, this is my first guest. You So if we going like this, we know it's bigger. But you know what segment is next, right? All right, so let's get into it. It's time for Well Mail. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> this is the part of the episode where I read and respond to questions and topics that you have sent me in the social media streets. Now you can submit your whale mail by DMing me on the Tiki Taki, <laughs> Instagram, on Twitter, or simply emailing me at contact at drvivid.com. So today's whale mail comes from the TikTok and the IG streets. And two different folk, but the same question in a different fashion basically people wanted to know with the presence that I have on social media how do I not get nervous when it comes to people seeing my content or judging my content um because you know I'm very much me um and I'm very transparent And I say, I don't know how to do anything but be authentically me. You know, people who judge me for my hair color or my tattoos or my piercings, that's all due to respectability politics. And people who say, well, you're a doctor, like you dress like this, you wear your hair this way, you, your tattoos are showing. Yeah, because there are people in the world who want to be my clients with colorful hair or locks or piercings or tattoos that have eclectic style and I want them to know that it's okay here and one my appearance and my 
competence. They have nothing to do with each other. Um, my hair color has nothing to do with the years of schooling and the years of education that I have. My tattoo showing and me allowing my clients to cuss in session or eating with my clients in session or, you know, the things that I share on TikTok and Instagram about my style, that's what's comfortable for me. I have to be authentic. I have to be real. I have to be true to myself. Or how else can I show clients? How else can I guide a client to walk, how to walk in their truth? How to show up authentically? How to not give a damn about everybody else's opinions when it comes to decisions about things that they love, things that give them joy, things that express who they really are. It all comes down to me knowing that I'm not everybody's cup of tea. Y'all know what I'm going to say next. But I'm a lot of people's nice shot of tequila and being okay with that. Some people don't drink. And I'm fine with that. I'm fine. You can find the therapist or the guest speaker or the consultant, the advocate that's right for you. But I'm right for a lot of people. And I don't have to be right for everyone. So if you're struggling with how you can mingle your identity personally with your professional identity, remember that you were who you were before that title came along. And there's someone who wants to be seen for who they are. And you know exactly how it feels to walk in those shoes. Thank you for your well-mail submissions. I love reading what you have to ask and what you have to say. Let's get on with the rest of the episode. Now it's time to take a beat. This is the poly episode where I talk to you about what I've been listening to that brings me joy, that's helped me reflect, that has helped contribute to my peace, my calm. What's on my playlist? What's on repeat? And we're going to keep it short and sweet. I didn't mean for that to rhyme, but let's get to it. PJ Morton, I want to throw something at you. And I mean that in the most respectful black manner I can. Watch the sun is a goddamn masterpiece of vocal bliss, instrumental, uh, the production, the quality. The, everything is just amazing and we're not worthy we're not worthy but let's just bring it down the track list because every single song baby every single song loves disease just can't get enough biggest mistake please don't walk away watch the sun featuring chronics my peace featuring Mr. Talkbox and Jojo. Oh my God, is an anthem. Be Like Water, featuring my favorite artist of all time, Stevie Wonder and Nas. So Lonely, featuring Wale. Still Believe with Jill Scott and Alex Isley, which is butter. Little Too Heavy, On My Way, El Departage, The Better Bener- The Better Benediction. Like the Zacardi Cortez, like, uh, uh, 
there's so many people on that track music city um walls is on there if you don't know that's daryl walls from um the walls group like that uh, simone is on this album man just go go listen if you haven't had the time to ever listen to any of pj morton's projects his works his albums please go do it and you'll understand why this man is constantly grammy nominated or snagging he's blessed go get into it and then tell me what you listen to after you listen to that to do it yourself this is the part of the episode where we talk about coping strategies tools to decrease your stress things to hold you over into your next therapy session or just help make your life a little bit easier in the meantime between time today's is very simple turn your phone on do not disturb for at least an hour a day or on silent turn it off Sometimes we give too much of ourselves to others, to app scrolling, to texting. Sometimes we need to disconnect in order to reconnect with ourselves. And I promise you, the world will not end because you don't like every picture, respond to every text immediately, or answer every call on the first or second ring. Give yourself some time to just... Be at peace. Tend to yourself. I dare you to disconnect. Let's get on with the rest of the episode. And now we've reached the cool down. This is the part of the episode where we focus on breathing, mindfulness, relaxation, and most importantly, you. Now, I'll be asking you to close your eyes as I guide you through this brief experience. If you're not in a safe place to stay or sit and close your eyes, it's okay. It's a podcast. Pause me and come back to me when you're ready. Let's close our eyes and take a deep breath. Let it out. Let's imagine
All right, all right, all right. We have reached the end of another episode. I want to send a huge shout out, a huge thank you to my mom for being my first guest. Thank you so much. Shout out to my kids, my cat, and my ex-husband for making so much noise in the background during that interview. Yeah, let me be great. Let me be a professional. Let me be great. Oh, my God. (laughs) Thank you all for listening. Thanks for your well mail. Thanks for your support, your emails. Thank you for your listenership. I just love you. And we're going to end it like this. You don't owe these people nothing. You don't owe these people shit. You owe yourself everything, everything. Be a bad bitch. Be a bad bitch. You owe yourself everything. Go be great. Go be great. Go be dope. Go be great. (laughs) See you guys next time. We out.